0: Okay everyone, if you're, if you're alright with it, let's get us started a couple of minutes early tonight. It's 6.58. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, we made it back uh, late Sunday or Sunday evening and uh, had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, but certainly it's, it's good to be home and it's no place, like, no place like being home. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope you were able to be with your family. Uh, and get to get some rest and and enjoy yourself a little bit. Um, turn in your Bible, please, to John, the 18th chapter. Go in your Bible to John, chapter 18. The Gospel of John is the gospel that uh, we most recently finished. Our Bible reading program this year has consisted of reading a gospel a quarter. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but that's Uh, that's what it's consisted of and we've read uh, the Gospel of John most recently go to lesson number nine in your workbook we want to do lesson nine tonight in in the workbook tonight we are continuing continuing with our series of lessons about the last week of Christ the most important last week of someone's life in the history of the world we are gonna be looking at technically Uh, A lot of things that took place on, I guess we would look at it as Thursday night. Um, But um, I want to thank Mitch for teaching the class uh, the last uh, couple of class periods. I know he did a wonderful job, and I really appreciate him uh, teaching while I was away. Uh, He always does a great job teaching, and I really, really, really appreciate him covering a lot of territory. It's my understanding Uh, And Mitch, correct me if I'm wrong, sir, but I think Mitch got through the events of the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, So we are pretty much done with Gethsemane. And you may have started talking about the trials some. And uh, I just want to get on the same page with you tonight, with everyone tonight. So I kind of want to really do my class tonight uh, talking about the trials of Jesus, uh, particularly the trials that took place before the high priest. Before we do that, Let's have a prayer. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, thank you so much, Father, for uh, this opportunity, uh, this blessing to stand or sit together and me to stand before these wonderful people, uh, to study together, to learn about our Savior Jesus, to learn about his redemptive work and all that he went through to redeem us, to save us from our sins. Help us always be thankful for the blood of Jesus Help us always be mindful in our daily lives of the events uh, that surround the cross. We pray, Father, for those who are sick at this time and discouraged, even suffering uh, as we continue to wage uh, and try to navigate our way through this time of pandemic. We pray for our wonderful leaders in this church, our elders, our deacons, for every member, for our Bible class teachers, for our young people. We pray that you will have your hand of blessing upon us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's just make sure we're all on the same page with a few things. Uh, Thursday night, Thursday night, this is the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. The events of Jesus died on the cross, that particular event takes place in the morning. So there's a lot that goes on between 6 o'clock in the morning and 9 o'clock in the morning when Jesus is put on the cross. He hangs on the cross. Does anybody remember for how long? He's six hours on the cross. It looks like he's on the cross from nine in the morning till three. So there's a, So they get started pretty early the next morning, getting Jesus before Pilate. Uh, they probably start as early as five or six o'clock in the morning, transporting Jesus. After finishing their meals, and when I say meals, I'm talking about really two meals that were eaten on Thursday night uh, between Jesus and his apostles. They're in an the upper room, they're in Jerusalem, they eat the Passover, they have to eat the Passover, according to the law of Moses, and Jesus institutes a new meal that would be designed to commemorate what he was about to do, which is die on the cross, and that's the Lord's Supper. So after they eat the meal, Jesus and his disciples head out to the Garden of Gethsemane. They cross the Kidron brook, They make their way to Gethsemane. Evidently, Gethsemane was a place that Jesus frequently uh, went to 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 pray things like that. The prayer of John 17. Y'all probably talked about that. I'm not sure if you did or not. But the prayer of John 17, when Jesus prays for oneness, remember that? That did not take place in the Garden of Gethsemane. That took place prior to Gethsemane at some point. The prayers of Gethsemane are Matthew 26. That's the prayers of Gethsemane. So it's kind of confusing, but there are things that happen after they eat the meals and as they make their way to Gethsemane. There's a conversation that takes place after the meals, uh, and, and Jesus even prays before he gets to the garden. It was important to realize that. On the journey, Jesus gave them both encouraging and discouraging information. Maybe even a more accurate way I should have said that. He's even... Immediately after the meals, they, they ate together. The, the bad news, at least from their perspective, was Jesus, this great rabbi, the Messiah, their teacher was about to leave them. He was about to die on the cross. And that was something he always had a tough time grasping. The good news, according to what you find in John 14, 15, 16, is Jesus would not leave them as orphans. He would send them someone after his ascension. And that would be who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come and comfort them and teach them all things that Jesus wanted them to know. Once Jesus made it to Gethsemane, he prayed in agony. His sweat was like drops of blood. That may have been literal. Uh, prayed three times in the garden. While praying, the disciples kept falling asleep. And they're falling asleep probably due to sorrow. Uh, At some point, an angel appeared and strengthened Jesus. After this takes place, Judas arrives with the soldiers who were sent by the council to arrest Jesus. Judas identified Jesus to the soldiers with a kiss. He betrayed the Lord with a kiss. He says, the one I kiss, this is he. You seize this man. In an effort to defend the Lord, Peter cut off the slave of the high priest's ear. The slave's name was... Malchus, remember Malchus. We might even mention Malchus in this event and our Miracles of Jesus classes. This was a miracle that took place. And can you imagine being a soldier in the garden and seeing Jesus put a man's ear back on? You think he would have had some reservations arresting this guy? And he's performed a miracle? He's he put a man's ear back on. In fact, when you read John 19, it appears that when the soldiers got there, they were afraid of Jesus. The Bible says that when Jesus identified himself to them, they fell back. They they were afraid of Jesus. Why? Because of his miraculous power. Jesus' miraculous power was well known throughout all the region. So they were afraid of this man. That's why they came armed and everything. They knew they were dealing with a man who had real power. So Jesus healed Malchus. He surrendered and allowed, I emphasize allowed, allowed the soldiers to arrest him and the disciples that were with him, They fled. They they left him. Just like Jesus said would happen. right? Jesus could have easily stopped all that was transpiring. He allowed them to take him because of his full submission to God's will. And remember this, please. His full submission to God's will and his love for us. So I want you to I want you to really remember that this is Gethsemane. This is the actual place somewhere in this garden is where these events took place in the garden of Gethsemane. Now, We're moving along here, so we've looked at the Passover, looked at Gethsemane. Now we're focusing on the trials. This is Friday. We're going to say this is Friday, trials and crucifixion, okay? I'll put this back up here so you can know what's going on in Jerusalem. It is important to really get a good idea of what's going on here in Jerusalem. So we're looking at this from the perspective, us together right here. We're looking at this city from the perspective of the Mount of Olives, Okay, so just pretend like we're in the Mount of Olives together. Gethsemane is going to be at the base of the Mount of Olives. We cross the Kidron Valley along here, and when you come into Jerusalem, there is the temple. That's the most important landmark in Jerusalem, is the temple. Okay, the Antonio Fortress is over here. Caiaphas lives somewhere over here, probably over this direction. I believe where Herod was is probably somewhere located in here. So Jesus is going to be moving around quite a bit on Friday. He makes his way first to Caiaphas' house, right? He goes to Caiaphas first. Annas is going to be that direction too. They're all, they're all together. The, the Sanhedrin will meet over here. The next morning they're going to take him over here. Pilate's going to send him over here to Herod. Herod's going to send him back over here. And eventually he's going to be sent over here to Golgotha. Okay, so, this, so this, is, this is the idea. I'm trying to give you an idea of what's going on here in Jerusalem. This is a great model that's in the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem that gives you a, a very accurate depiction of how Jerusalem would have looked 2,000 years ago. This right here is what is believed to be the area where Caiaphas' house was. Okay, what you see here is what the Catholics have built on top of the ruins of Caiaphas' house, and this is a church, it's a Catholic church. It's called the the Church of St. Peter Galagontu. The Church of St. Peter Galagontu. It is built on top of the ruins of the place where Peter denied Jesus three times. And I'll tell you an interesting story of something that happened to me in this place later. But this is on the doors of the church. I know that's kind of hard to see but I think that's supposed to be Jesus pointing at Peter here, pointing at Peter, because Peter denied him in this place, in this area. This is inside the church, inside the church of Galagantu, built on top of the ruins of Caiaphas' house. When you go under the church, when you go under the church, you find, the archaeologists have found a dungeon. A dungeon is under the church. The dungeon here is very likely the dungeon Jesus was in, because remember, they have to keep Jesus captive until the next morning. So they probably would have lowered him through. They found, well, archaeologists have found a dungeon under this area where prisoners were lowered in, lowered in through a rope. They were lowered under into the dungeon. This is from inside the dungeon here. So it's very likely that after the trials, Jesus was kept, was kept under Uh, in a dungeon under Caiaphas' house. This was built as part of of his house. And this is something on the church here. This right here, these steps here, these steps are 2,000-year-old steps. These are very likely the steps Jesus took to come to Caiaphas. These were dug up. These are 2,000-year-old steps. Jesus would have walked these steps to come to see Caiaphas. If you look out this direction here, and I know it's kind of hard to see, you see the Mount of Olives, You see the Garden of Gethsemane, which very likely means that as Caiaphas is sitting or standing on the balcony of his house, he sees everything going on. He sees them arresting Jesus, and he's eager to see Jesus. He can see Jesus making his way with the soldiers to his house, and he can't wait for this trial to start. It is very likely that Caiaphas stood from his house and got a great view, because you get a great view of Gethsemane, From the house of Caiaphas and and he was probably excited about everything everything that was taking place so things we will focus on tonight the trials of Jesus there are two trials to take place that night after he's arrested then you got the testimony of false witnesses then you got Jesus ultimately being condemned being condemned to die okay so I'm gonna go through these questions pretty quickly here Uh, I want you to go to John the 18th chapter Going to make reference to a few verses here just to make sure we're all on the same page together. Jesus, after he's arrested in the garden, who is he brought before first? He's brought before Annas. That's exactly right. Annas is called the father-in-law, excuse me, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So he's related to Caiaphas. The Bible in John chapter 18, when you look at John chapter 18, Um, and it says, verse number 12, so the Roman cohort, so notice, this is interesting. You don't just have Jewish soldiers that are sent to arrest Jesus in the garden. There are also Roman soldiers there too. Do you notice that? There's a Roman cohort there. There are Romans involved in this. The Roman cohort and the commanders and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Caiaphas said this under the inspiration of the spirit. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. John in this gospel never refers to himself by name. He always refers to himself, it appears, in in the third person, right? As the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple, the disciple, this is John, was known to the high priest and he entered with Jesus into the high court. So verses 16, 17 talk about Peter, how he gets access into the court. And then it says in verse 18, now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal of fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also among them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus. Now the high priest there, that's what I want to highlight. The reference of high priest there is a reference to Annas. Because remember, Jesus is in front of Annas right now. So he's called the high priest here in verse 19. And then you look at verse 24. It says, so Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Well, in the Old Testament, how many high priests were there in Israel? There's one high priest. One high priest in Israel. But here you got two high priests. Now, I know there, there may be different explanations as to why the Bible is saying that and and. And it's hard to really pin that down 100 percent. But I'll just tell you what my view is on this. I think you've got politics at play here. Politics always get involved in things sometimes, don't they? <laughs> we see that in our culture, right? Always got politics going on. And, and I think you may have some politics at play here. I think when you trace the Jewish lineage back, especially prior to the Maccabees, and what took place in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, I think when you trace it back, Annas is probably the legitimate high priest of the Jewish people. I think he's a legitimate high priest. And I think that's why they brought him to Annas first. They're doing this out of respect. They recognize Annas. But I think the Romans probably placed his son-in-law as high priest among the Jews. So technically... Annas is the high priest according to genealogy, probably. But Caiaphas has been placed in this position probably because of some allegiance to Rome. And, and Rome wants to use him. So that's, that's my thinking on this. I think there's a reason why John is saying they're both for high priests. One group of people views one as a high priest. Another one views one as, another, uh, as, a, as a high priest. Another group views uh, the, the other as a high priest. Now, when Jesus comes before Annas... John's gospel is the only one that tells us really what happens on that occasion. Annas actually questions Jesus quite a bit. Did you notice that? Look back at John 18, verse 19. John 18, 19 says, The high priest, and that's a reference to Annas. And if you're a first century person reading this, it's not as confusing. It's confusing for us because we're so removed from it. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. So he's asking Jesus questions and Jesus answered him. Now, it's it's important to understand that when Jesus stands before Caiaphas, he don't really have a lot to say to Caiaphas. Did you notice that? He don't really talk a lot to Caiaphas, but he says to Annas, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Jesus is saying, everybody knows what I taught. It wasn't in secret. This, everything I did was public. It was wide open to the world, to the Jews. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. I'm not hiding anything. People know what I said. There are many witnesses. When he said this, notice what happened. One of the officers standing by struck him, hit him, saying, is that what, is that the way you answer the high priest? Notice the respect and his hands. Do you see that? They strike Jesus because they feel like he's disrespecting the high priest. Something similar happened to Paul, if you remember, when he stood before the Sanhedrin council. Paul was slapped because he seemed to have gotten smart with the high priest, too. So Jesus is struck because because of his answer and his very brilliant answer, very brilliant answer to, to Annas. And Jesus said, if I've spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? Why do you hit me if I'm telling the truth? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So he goes to Annas first. Then verse 24 says he goes to Caiaphas. Caiaphas appears to have been the official high priest that year, at least according to what was going on in the Roman Empire. Ask the high priest, and and I want to emphasize this, And I I want you to keep your finger at John 18. I know I'm kind of sending you a couple of different places, but I'm just trying to make a point. Matthew 26 and Matthew 26, 57. Matthew 26, 57. uh, Says those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas. Now, unless I'm mistaken here and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe Matthew mentions Annas. Does he mention Annas? I don't believe he mentions Annas. He mentions Caiaphas. And he sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. That's the Sanhedrin. That's the Sanhedrin council. Scribes, elders, the chief priest. So it appears that when Jesus is tried before Caiaphas, this is a Sanhedrin trial. The first one was kind of just a, formality. Show respect to Annas. We don't want Annas to feel left out. We we view him as legitimate. But we're going to bring him before Caiaphas. This is the real deal now. Now we're getting the law involved. The the law is really involved here. And you got the council convened. You got chief priests. You got elders. You you have Jewish leaders who are going to see this case. And it seems like Caiaphas is the one running the show. He's the one in charge of this whole thing. So let's keep going here. Let's keep going. There are other disciples coming with Jesus as he's being taken from Annas to Caiaphas. The two are who? Peter and John. Peter and John. That's what the Bible said when you go back to John 18, 15. John 18, 15 lets us know it was Peter and John. Now, Jesus had an inner, inner circle. <laughs> Does that make sense? An inner, inner circle. His inner circle was the 12 apostles, but the inner inner circle of that group seemed to have always been three guys. They went with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They went with him inside the home of Jairus, Jairus home when he raised the little girl, Jairus daughter from the dead. They went with him to the garden. There's three guys that's always with Jesus above the others. Those three guys are who? Peter, James and John. Peter and then the two brothers, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. They're always with Jesus even more than the others. Now, you got two of those guys. I don't know where James is at this time, but I know Peter and John are following. In fact, the Bible says that John is following real close and Peter's even further behind. And that's always seems to how it works out. Like even John got to the tomb first. He always seems to be going a little faster than Peter. But John appears to have have had influence with the high priest because he's given access in. Do you notice that? He's given access into the courtyard of Caiaphas. And Peter's only able to get in because of who? Because of John. John puts the word in for him and they let Peter in. They don't know who Peter is, but they know who John is. John knows Caiaphas and John uses his influence to to get Peter inside. So these two apostles are hanging around, and you've got to give them some credit for that at least. They're hanging in there because they want to know what's going to happen to the Lord, Peter and John. Okay, question four, the, the chief priests. Now we're at the trial, the real deal, the Sanhedrin trial. Okay, we're at this trial, and I want to say this about the trials. Both of these trials are illegal. Does anybody know why these trials would have been illegal? Can somebody tell me? Yes. Yes. It was at night that made it illegal. Anybody did anybody else say something? I want to overlook you. That was the real. That was the main thing. It was done at night. And you don't have any legitimate witnesses either. That's another thing we're going to talk about. But this is totally illegal. But isn't that how evil is conducted in the darkness? That's right. Yes, sir. Brother Dunn. Go ahead, sir. Right. This is a, a certain group of players involved here. Yes. Hebrew was not called within the time frame, nor were they in meeting in the designated place where they should meet. Three. This is all orchestrated by evil people. They they have an outcome they want to reach and they're orchestrating it to reach that outcome. Now that that's a good point. So Jesus even after these two would have three more trials the next day. And the the reason that happened is because the Sanhedrin, they couldn't officially sentence him to death by Roman law. Now, I'm not not talking about their religious law. I'm talking about civil law, too. They want Jesus not just punished or put in jail. They want him gone. That's how much they're jealous of him. They resent him. They want him out of the way completely. Okay. Now, we branched to Peter. Just remember these things as we move forward. Jesus predicted that Peter was going to deny him, didn't he? He did it earlier in the night. And while Jesus is being questioned, Peter, he's gotten access into the court through John. And he starts warming himself by the fire. Maybe you've even heard that. You've heard that called the devil's fire. You've ever heard that, that expression that, that goes back to this right here. Peter warming himself by the fire. And it didn't take long before he started getting, started, people started recognizing him. Uh, even somebody related to Malchus recognized him. Somebody who must have been in the garden earlier. They say, wait a minute, I just saw you, I think. And like me coming from the south, his, the way he talked started giving in a way. So we well, you know you can't be you, you some different about you. You your way you talk is even kind of funny. And he adamantly denied that he knew Jesus. Adamantly denied it. He even started cursing it, 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 it says, uh, before the rooster crowed twice. So I just want to lay that stuff out to give us some context here. So question four, to put Jesus to death, what did they need? What did the Sanhedrin need to kill him? Yes, they're trying to accuse him of blasphemy. Somebody said that. And what did somebody say over here? I'm sorry. Yes, they need sufficient testimony. Another way we could even say that is sufficient evidence. You need evidence. You can write Matthew 26 down, 58 and 59. Matthew 26, 58 and 59 says, it says, but Peter was following at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and he entered in and he sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now, the chief priests and the whole council, this is the Sanhedrin, they kept trying to obtain false testimony. Notice that they want false evidence so they can kill him put him to death. So they're trying to get what they believe is sufficient evidence, even if it's, if it's corrupt, because they want to kill Jesus. The witnesses for question five, these witnesses, and I'll just say this, these witnesses are just as shady and corrupt as I don't know what. The Bible calls them false witnesses. Did you read that in your, in your, in your Bible, they're called false witnesses. Keep in mind that these are the witnesses of the enemies of Jesus, these are, the, these are not witnesses sent to defend Jesus. These are witnesses that they have orchestrated, they have called, and they can't get their own story straight. They can't get their own story straight. You know, one of them says, well, this guy said, Jesus said he was going to tear the temple down, build it up in three days. Well, we know what Jesus meant by that, right? Talking about his resurrection. But they're coming up with all of these different things, and they can't, They can't collaborate properly. They're not in harmony with each other. They're contradicting each other. Their story's not straight. And when people's story's not straight and they're trying to testify against somebody, what does that usually mean? They're lying and the person they're trying to condemn is what? He's innocent. innocent. Because if he was guilty, guess what you would have? A consistent story. The witnesses would be in total in line with each other. But these people are lying. They're contradicting because they're they're just flat out frauds. They're false witnesses. And Jesus is innocent. So we go to question six. What was Jesus doing the entire time while these witnesses are up there? He's doing exactly what he should have did. Isn't that right? If you're innocent, everybody's burying themselves with false testimony. What should you do in that situation? Keep your mouth shut. Let them bury themselves. That's what they were doing. He didn't need to say anything because the lies were being exposed through their contradiction, through their contradicting each other. I'm Back in Matthew 26, look at verse 62. After the one man said that this guy said, Jesus, I'm going to tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days, the high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? High priest wants Jesus to say something. He wants him to incriminate himself. What is it that these men are testifying against you? Verse 63 Jesus kept silent. Oh, what, 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 what brilliance! What brilliance! You don't need to say anything because these people are lying and you're innocent. And it's being, it's being exposed to everybody on this occasion. They had nothing on Jesus, they had nothing on him. And Caiaphas knew it, and he was frustrated. He was frustrated at his own witnesses. He's frustrated at these people, how they can't get a story, their story straight. And so it seems that he's so frustrated that he just busts out and just says, forget this whole, this is not going according to plan. Let me just ask you. Are you the son of God? Are you the Christ? Caiaphas know he knows that these witnesses aren't helping anything. So let me just ask him. Are you the son of God? Are you the Christ? How did Jesus respond to that? You said it. That's what I am. In fact, not only did he say that, but when you go back to the text, Jesus also said to the high priest, mind you, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You know what that is? That's judgment language. That's judgment language. Now, some says, what exactly is the Lord referring to there? Is he talking about destruction of Jerusalem or final judgment? It's hard to say, hard to say, but I'll say this. If it is destruction of Jerusalem, that's 40 years away. Caiaphas wasn't a high priest by then. wasn't a high priest by destruction of Jerusalem. I tend to believe that this is talking about final judgment. When this is a reference to the fact that when Jesus comes back, all even these enemies here, they're going to get what was coming to them. Now that's that's where I lean towards. Maybe it's a structure in Jerusalem. If it, if it was, then it, Caiaphas wasn't even alive by then. That's 40 years from now. So I know you chomping at the bitch, Don. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. it is. <laughs> right. That's the point. The point is, this was Jesus telling this man, you're corrupt and you're going to get judgment from me. And you think Caiaphas understood what the Lord was saying there? Because he got mad, didn't he? How did he re- how did he respond to that? What how did Caiaphas respond when Jesus said that? Somebody tell me. He tore his clothes up. He tore his clothes and he said, we don't need witnesses anymore. Look, at, he said it. He accused him of what? Can somebody tell me what in the world is blasphemy? We throw that word around. but well, let's let's define our terms. What is blasphemy? Does anybody have a definition of blasphemy? Yes, sir. Elliot, go ahead, sir. Yes, an injurious statement. Say it again. I didn't hear you, sir. An injurious statement. Injurious statement. God. Yes. And uh, if you don't mind, Elliot, I'm a, I'm a country boy from East. So I got to simplify it even more. <laughs> so I don't even know what injurious is a big word for a guy like me. Uh, so I'm from East Texas. So we'll just can I just say it's because you're right. It's the idea of speaking against God, cursing God. It, it is saying something really ugly and just terrible against God, cursing God. You can even say you can even go this rate and say that. You could be guilty of blasphemy when you're trying to make yourself equal with God. That's a form of cursing God, speaking against God. And that's what they accused Jesus of. Speaking against God, Yahweh, cursing God, making himself out to be equal with God because he said, I'm the son of God. Now, let me ask you all this. Let me ask you this. Was this truly blasphemy when Jesus said that? Why you? Why somebody tell me why you say no? Why do you say no? Okay. Why is he the son of God? Just because he says so? Because there were a lot of people saying they were the son of God. And did he ever back this up in any way? Yes. This would have been blasphemy if Jesus never provided any evidence. You understand that? Jesus made the claim. But it's not enough just to make claims. I can go to Walmart tonight and claim to be the son of God. I can do that. Anybody can do that. There are people who have done that. You know the guy, I don't know if y'all remember Jeffrey Dahmer, the guy who killed people, cannibal, ate people in Milwaukee. The guy who killed him in prison said he was the son of God. He said he was sent by God to do that work. He was the son of God. Anybody can claim to be the son of God. People have claimed to be the son of God. But Jesus backed it up. That's what the miracles were all about. They were all about providing the supernatural proof that he was the son of God. And these miracles he did was so undeniable, none of his enemies could deny could deny them. Instead of denying them, you know what they did? They said he's doing them by the power of the devil. They foolishly questioned the source, but they could not deny the miracles. And so Jesus claimed to be the son of God, but it wasn't blasphemy. You know why? Because he backed it up. He backed it up. Don't you have something to say real quick, then I'll just a minute or two. One miracle that the prophet said nobody else would perform except the Messiah was the healing of the blind. And he did that in the temple with the chief priests and elders. Isaiah, the prophet of God, 700 years prior, said the Messiah was going to give sight to the blind. No, that's absolutely right. So I just want to make that point. Jesus did not blaspheme. He wasn't a blasphemer. He claimed to be the son of God. and He proved it. So they just rejected the evidence. So after they ac- con- con- accused him or condemned him for blasphemy, they say he deserved to die. Question eight. They say he deserves to die. Matthew 27, one. He needs to die. And that's what they wanted all along. And that what they wanted. Jesus didn't have a shot in this corrupt trial. He had no shot. They already had their minds made up. They had false witnesses. And even when the false witnesses were exposing the whole charade, Caiaphas asked him if he's a son of God. And no matter how Jesus answered that, it wasn't going to satisfy him. And Jesus is not a liar. He told the truth. And Jesus could tell the truth in that because he's a son of God. And he proved it through miracles. So they want to kill him. And that's what they wanted the whole time. Last thing, real quick. In addition to condemning him to die, There are other things that happened to the Lord that night. And I want to just give you a list of this, okay? They spit on Jesus. Talk about an insult. One of the worst things you can do to somebody is spit on them. Well, y'all agree? For those of you who ever played sports, that's one thing you don't do in sports is spit on somebody. Uh, That usually leads to a fight. They spit on Jesus. They blindfolded him. They beat him with their fist. So they're punching him. They're mocking him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who's the one who hit you? Because remember, he's blindfolded. So they're mocking him. And then the Bible also says the officers, they, they slapped him in the face. So they beat him with their fist. They slapped him in the face. They mocked him, blindfolded him, spit on him. All this stuff happened to him, In addition to this corrupt trial where he's condemned for a crime he did not commit, which was blasphemy. And so just to make sure we're all together here, because this is the end of Lesson 9. After the Lord is arrested in the garden, he's taken before Annas first. Annas asks some questions. He's slapped by an officer when appearing before Annas. He's then taken before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin council. False witnesses are brought forward. They're all contradicting themselves. Annas, or Caiaphas, I'm sorry, gets frustrated by this. He asks Jesus, tell us plainly, are you the son of God? Jesus says, I've said it, and you're going to receive judgment from me in the future. Caiaphas gets frustrated by this. He condemns Jesus to die. He convicts him of blasphemy, and he's Jesus abused by various people at the trial. Talk about a true sham of a process. Wouldn't you agree? What an unjust process. What an unjust thing these people did. But that's what happens when some people feel their power is being threatened. Some people are so stuck on having power and prestige that they'll blind themselves intentionally to the truth even if it means condemning their souls to hell. And that's what these people did. That's what they did. So on Sunday, if the Lord wills. We're going to go to the next morning when Jesus goes before Pilate and Herod. Was there anything before we close this that anybody wanted to say? Brother Gary, go ahead, sir. Yes. So they them. That's why Caiaphas, that's why he didn't make a big deal of that. Because you're right, they knew that. They, you're right. Anyone else before we close? Brother Don, yes, sir. When you compare this trial before the Caiaphas with what happens to Stephen later on, Act seven. you're going to see another set of exceptions. To yeah, yeah, just, just so, such corruptness. But Jesus told them. What happened to me is going to happen to you. Don't be surprised by it. Uh, and we shouldn't be surprised by it today when people reject us for standing for righteousness. 12 Mitch, that's a great point. Acts 12. Acts chapter 12. This was after Herod had killed the apostle James. He locked up Peter. He stands in front of the people. And, he, and, and people say, look, the voice of a God. And he, he loves that. He loved that of, then take long for the his uh, body was getting eaten by worms his inside was getting eaten by worms god never takes kindly when people try to put themselves on his on his level absolutely good good thoughts everybody we will pick this up on on sunday lord willing thank you so much